So, are you uh, ready for Christmas? Are you ready? <laughs> so, somewhere after Black Friday, something happens in the Western consciousness, which uh, we live in, in, in sort of North America, and something happens where we, we all of a sudden become obsessed with being ready for Christmas. And Christmas prep kind of takes over. Uh, and we don't, if you notice this, like somewhere around about the middle of this, uh, November, towards the, that sort of Black Friday date seems to be it, we change how we do cultural engagement. So now we take, how are you? And we put that in a box, and that's not coming back till January. Because now I'm going to ask, are you ready for Christmas? That's our greeting. That's how we talk to strangers. It's how we talk to our family. It's how we talk to our friends. And I've been thinking a little bit about how we do these kind of Christmas things that we do. Um, I was wondering what aliens would think if they came to Earth, right? And that might just because I watched Star Wars this weekend, so I kind of got aliens in the brain. But, you know, here we are, this group of people, uh, and all of a sudden, at this one point in the year, we take all of our lights and we put them outside. And then we take all of our trees and we bring them inside. And I feel like, you know, kind of social scientists in the future will say something must have been going on in December in this climate that they had to bring the trees indoors uh, to keep them safe. And, and maybe you're like me, that basically the lead up to Christmas is just basically getting poked in the eye by a Christmas branch every evening. Because we set up our tree and it looks amazing and we're so happy. But every year I do the same thing. I put the tree in relation to the power outlet in a really awkward way. So every night, just as I'm thinking, it's time to go to bed, and I'm doing my, my good role as kind of dad of the house, making sure everything's safe, I'm like, should switch off those lights so that we don't all die in a fire. And, uh, and then I realized the light switch is like at the other side of the tree. So there's me in my pajamas having to do this thing. You relate to this. Some of you out there are doing this. I'm having to get under the tree, and every day I lose a bit of my cornea as it gets attacked <laughs> by this brush. But this year... This year we have it sorted because this year we've got a smart plug. And so now to turn off my Christmas lights, the theory is I just say, hey Alexa, turn off the Christmas lights. Which means that most evenings what happens in our house is around about midnight at concert lever volume, Alexa plays Christmas lights by Coldplay. <laughs> now I realize that some of you like, when I said, are you ready for Christmas, there's like three or four of you in the room are like, yeah. And just so you know, I know this is church, but we hate you. <laughs> These people that are organized, because, you know, some of, some of you are the Martha Stewarts of Christmas, right? That you just, like, you boss Christmas. Like, this is, this is like, there's 11 months of the year, and then there's your month. And, uh, you know, and this is where I show what I'm about. You know, I, I get gifts occasionally from some of you that are Martha Stewart's of Christmas. And the gift is so well wrapped that I don't want to open it. Because it, it's, it, if gift wrapping was an Olympic sport, you would take gold. You're that, that good at it. Me, I'm like, I see this thing that people do with the ribbon. You know this thing where somehow the ribbon ties up on itself? And I've seen people on YouTube do it with like a scissors and they kind of pull the ribbon. I just cut my fingers every time that I do it. But, but uh, you know, but your whole is so well organized. Your home looks like Martha Stewart's home. And this isn't Martha Stewart's current home, actually. This is her home in 2004. Um, <laughs> but even it looked better than my home uh, does at Christmas time. 
for most of us, the question, are you ready, brings out this kind of strange uh, sensation. In fact, perhaps you saw uh, this meme. Uh, I hate it when people ask me if I'm ready for Christmas. No, Susan, I'm not even ready for today. <laughs> Maybe that's sort of what resonates with you when people say, are you ready? Uh, in those days, Luke says in chapter two of his book, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone went to their own town to register. So what we realize at this point is that Caesar Augustus is inventor of Christmas traffic because everybody now has to get home at this particular time of year. So it's all chaos. And so naturally then the story says that Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. When they were there, the time came for the baby to be born and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. Here's where our Christmas story starts to gain some speed and something starts to happen. So all of these people are moving from all over the Roman world to get back to their hometown so that they can register for this census. And Joseph takes his family to Bethlehem. When he arrives in Bethlehem, it turns out that there's no space in, in the kind of normal guest room in his family home. Now, tradition has been the case that we generally often read this story, and if you've been to uh, you know, a nativity play at your kid's school or something like that, or maybe you were in the nativity play, we often have Joseph and Mary, and there's no room at the hotel for them. There's no room at the inn is often what we say. And this kind of idea got its way into Christian tradition about sort of 400 years or four or 500 years ago, around about the sort of development of the King James Bible, that this idea, this word which we translate guest room, somehow got translated in. And we have this idea of Joseph and Mary arriving in Bethlehem and having nowhere to stay but that's not really how things worked in the ancient world. He's going back to his home, so he would move towards the people from his family in that home. Most Israelite houses at this time period had essentially two rooms, one major family room, which is where everything happened inside the house, and often a small sort of guest room just sort of off the family room. And what it seems has happened is by the time Joseph and Mary have got themselves to Bethlehem, the family room's already been occupied by somebody else, because bear in mind, all of this family are heading their way back to Bethlehem. So what happens then is Joseph and Mary would be invited to then stay with the rest of the family in the sort of main family room. The main family room sounds like a terrifying experience for most of us because in the main family room, this is where you would sleep, this is where you might eat, and it's also where you keep your animals at night. Just sounds wonderful, doesn't it? See, the thing is, and you don't really want to leave your animals just outside in the cold because they might get stolen. And also, animals generate a lot of things, but one of the things they generate a lot of is heat. So actually, you bring your animals into the house because they generate warmth for you as you sleep through the cold of the evening. So we often have this image of Joseph and Mary in a stable, somehow out in the cold with, with, with Jesus in this kind of feeding bowl, when actually the image you probably want to have in your mind is of a crammed family room with everybody squeezed in, Joseph, Mary, all of their family, uh, all of their extended family, Jesus in a manger, and whatever animals the family were bringing in to keep them safe. It's a Christmas crush. You know the Christmas crush. Maybe you're from one of these families that have got, you know, that you've got, you've got just a little too many people in your family for the size of your house. 
And then you all get together at Christmas and you decide we're all going to sit around the same table. But you don't quite have enough chairs for that table. So someone always ends up on the office chair at Christmas time. And they're like there swiveling, you know, during the Christmas meal. And somebody else, there isn't even a chair for them. So they're on a box, you know, so they're eating Christmas dinner at this tight to the table. But as long as we're all sat around the table. Well, this is kind of the scene almost in, in Jesus's birthplace where everybody's crammed in, everybody's squished in the same sort of place. I think we can take comfort from this story. Because it's sort of, if we paint the picture properly, what we see is a family crushed in who weren't quite ready for this story to begin. The story kind of slightly got them by surprise. Like, I don't know about you, but I've lost count of how many times people have asked me, are you ready for Christmas? I really, like, it just seems to be the main question that we all want to talk about all the time. And it kind of makes me want to reply, well, what is ready? Like, what does ready for Christmas look like? What will I feel like when I'm ready? Does the question speak to this idea that there's some sort of kind of gold standard of what ready for Christmas looks like? Do we have in mind this idea of Christmas, a sort of Christmas dream that we're all going to have and we're working towards, and if we can get everything just right, this is what Christmas will be like in our house. Could it be a particular selection of gifts? If we just get the right gift for the right person, then Christmas will be, will be good and we'll be ready for it. Or maybe it's the food. Maybe that's the sort of thing that we've got to get the meal just right. We've got, to, we've got to put all of this extra work to get this meal exactly perfect. Or maybe it's the right people. Maybe when it just somewhere in the next day or two, the right number of the right particular people turn up at your house and you start to get that Christmas feel because, oh, you know, dad's here now or my brother's in town now or my sister's come by. Or maybe it's that you go to someone's house and when you arrive at that house at this particular time of year, you're like, yes, we're here. It's Christmas time. Or perhaps for some of us, what we're trying to do at Christmas is recreate something from the past. There's a particular nostalgic Christmas moment that we have. Uh, uh, maybe it was a particular moment in our history or a particular way that grandma or, 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 or dad used to do Christmas. And, and we're kind of just trying to get back to that. And basically, we'll judge our readiness for Christmas based on how close we are to this kind of perfect Christmas that we have in our heads. But have you ever wondered about how much we are being governed by certain ideas when we're trying to do this. How much the notions of should, must, and ought are really setting uh, the sort of pressure for us at this time of year. These sort of ideas of, you know, I really should do this in order to have a perfect Christmas, or I must get round to getting that, or I really ought to do this, that, or the next thing. And maybe it's the way the year's gone for us that there's certain things we'd love to put straight or there's certain things we'd love to get done or we're just feeling a pressure to have certain things sorted because I don't want to go through another Christmas without dealing with it. But if we're honest, it can be a little overwhelming. On one hand, it's just a festival that we celebrate every year, but on another hand, it creates with it a sense of pressure. Because somehow, like if we take the exam, we all know that the stuff of Christmas the kind of stuff that we buy, the stuff that we do, the stuff that we eat, we all kind of know that's not really what it's all about. But there's still a sense of expectation that weighs heavy on us to get that stuff right. So when we hear the question, are you ready? For many of us, this generates stress and anxiety in us. Have you ever noticed as well that at Christmas time, we seem to argue much easier? Maybe this just happens on my side of the Atlantic, I don't know, but something about the fact that we, 
we have a celebration. We're going to put all of our family together in good spirits because it's such a wonderful time of the year. And yet that seems to make it so much easier to argue. I was reading an article just this week that said, hey, husbands and wives, for the next two weeks, don't talk about anything other than the decorations and the food, right? (laughs) Because this is not the time to discuss your parenting philosophy or what you're going to do with your money, because it just seems that we're going to argue much easier at this time of year. Have we just cranked up the pressure to have the perfect Christmas so much that the stuff that really matters, and I'm not doing the pastor thing where I say, hey, remember, it's all about Jesus, but actually, is it, it's about more than that. This is a celebration. This is something about us. We're involved in this story, but somehow the stuff can put so much pressure on it. Like, is it the stuff that puts the pressure, or is it just the expectation that if we don't get it quite right, someone's gonna judge us, that someone's gonna think differently about us? So perhaps we all know that Rebecca Cooper is right when she says, more often than not, our most valued memories have nothing to do with the stuff, excess, or busyness of the holidays. Like, we know this is true, but it's so easy to forget. It seems so easy to forget that all of the stuff that we're really working so hard to make absolutely perfect probably won't be the thing that in 10, 15, 20 years' time we actually look back and remember about this Christmas. But that's the stuff that generates the pressure upon us just now. And so we know this, but we forget it. And we know it, and we forget it really, really easily. And when we forget it, what starts to happen is we start to drift into our coping mechanisms in order to get through. So when Christmas starts to feel overwhelming, what do we do? Well, we start to spend more. Because if I can just buy extra things, that might cover over the sort of deficiencies of this Christmas. Families across the world engage with this at the course of uh, this time of year. If things aren't quite perfect, maybe family life's not quite how we'd want it to be. Maybe the situation's just not what we'd want it to be. Let's try and cover that over by spending. And I'm not talking about being generous. I'm talking about just trying to buy our way out of things not being quite right. Or we just eat excessively because, you know, that's maybe just going to take away some of the kind of discomfort that we've got. Or often what happens is we just start pouring an extra glass of wine every single night. Just let's have two beers instead of one. Let's have three glasses of wine instead of two. And I realize it's the most trite pastoral thing to say at this time of year, (laughs) but let me say it anyway. You know, if you need extra alcohol to get through Christmas, maybe don't pour the extra alcohol, but think about what it is you're trying to get through in terms of this Christmas. Because often what happens is the bad habits that we develop here in December become our new lifestyles in January. And it's worth thinking about and spending some time reflecting on. Perhaps you've already got the t-shirt that says, you know, I run on coffee, wine, and Amazon Prime. (laughs) But Christmas really doesn't need to be about debt and alcohol. It could be about something else. You see, because I think there's something deeper to the question, are you ready? Perhaps maybe there's even a different question to ask. Maybe we ask this question, can you actually be ready for Christmas? Is it even right to be ready for Christmas? You see, because as we read the story, you'll notice one thing consistently about the Christmas story. Nobody's ready for it. It catches everyone by surprise. It comes upon people suddenly. Mary's not waiting to be the mother of the Savior of the world. Zechariah and Elizabeth are not waiting for their son to be the prophet. Shepherds aren't sat in the field thinking, anytime now, the angels are coming. That's not how the story works. It sneaks up on us, and it's supposed to sneak up on us. Look at the story of the shepherds. It follows on in Luke's account in chapter 2. 
And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. Do you notice this about angels? They're really scary. Like every angel that we seem to see in kind of art is never scary, right? Like you go to the Louvre in Paris and wander around all the Renaissance art, the angels always look like, look like Abba rejects, you know, they kind of long blonde hair and white robes and they're just kind of standing, like, you know, just kind of prancing around, just pointing at things and generally looking cuddly. <clears throat> and, and yet every single Christmas story that you read in the Bible, in fact, actually pretty much every angelic appearance in the Bible, the response of the humans is terror. So I just want to throw this out to you, okay? Before Christmas, just find the most hideously scary angel you can and put that on the top of your tree. You know, something that really freaks the kids out, that they look at it and, you know, like, oh my goodness. And when people go, well, that's inappropriate, you go, it's biblical, thank you very much. And, and that's how we do things in our house. <laughs> they were terrified when this angel appears. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly, because remember, it always happens suddenly. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly host. This is an army. A host is an army. Uh, a heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth, peace to those on whom his favor rests. Like this whole story is unexpected. The shepherds are in a field. Shepherds are not high society in the ancient world, just so you, you know. Like, shepherds are not the first on your invite to a royal gala. This, this is not where shepherds are, are found. In fact, oftentimes what you find by the time of Jesus is shepherds are often the kind of edges of society. Notice, these, these shepherds live in the field, right? So these are homeless shepherds, actually, and, and they're kind of they're stuck far from, from the edges of society because often shepherds were sort of the kind of socially undesirable people. Often they had criminal backgrounds. This was often the sort of kind of kind of profile of a shepherd around the time of Jesus. And these are the people that God comes to first to tell them that the Savior has been born. Like, they're not expecting this. They're not even on the list, much less at the bottom of the list. But here they are. They're invited first. But then the angel says to them, by the way, and how do you know it's the Messiah? Because you're going to find him wrapped in cloths, lying in a manger. You're going to find him in the family room of a house with all the animals in a feeding bowl. I want you to imagine that Megan gets pregnant again. And Harry and Meghan are in all the newspapers and they're super excited. And one of the newspapers says, you know, the amazing thing is we're gonna have a live video right after the baby's born. And so you get up at six o'clock in the morning because you wanna watch this happen and, and you turn on your TV and the reporter's there and the reporter says, we're live at the royal birth and we're just gonna take you in to see the royal baby right now. And as the camera pans out, you realize you're under a bridge and there's a shopping cart and in the shopping cart is a cardboard box. And the camera zooms in and says, here's the royal baby. Like, and you're going to go, wait a minute, this is, like, this is some sort of spoof television because this is not a royal birth. 
That emotion that you'd have at that point of feeling that is what these shepherds would probably hear when they go, the Messiah, the Savior, the Lord has been born. Oh, and he's in a manger. <laughs> like, like he's in a feeding bowl <laughs> for a cow. <laughs> like that's not where we expect it. So suddenly these angels are telling these shepherds that they're first in line to hear the story. And the story is about, <laughs> it's about a Savior being born in a feeding bowl. Do you ever wonder if our desire to be ready is actually rooted in some of our own senses of inadequacy or perhaps our own insecurities or perhaps our feeling that we've just not quite got it all together, that maybe perhaps we're a little bit incomplete? And yet the Christmas story comes to the outcasts of society, the people who didn't expect it, who weren't going to be on the list, and tells them about a baby being born in a manger. In a manger. You know, this this story to the inadequate people of society about a child being born to a people who weren't quite ready and there was a sense of unpreparedness to it. Like in a world that's obsessed with status and a world that's obsessed with perfection and size, this Christmas story happens like this. Perhaps this story brings us, with all of our inadequacies and insecurities, which so often find us becoming so inwardly focused, so narcissistic and so self-obsessed. This story of inadequacy and unpreparedness brings us face to face with the reality that God wants us to see, that so much of the stuff that we obsess over just isn't that important. And to this incompleteness, to this unpreparedness, to this inadequacy, the angel says, peace. The angel says peace. If you've been journeying with us in our teaching this year, you'll notice that, that this Hebrew notion of peace, the word shalom, is so much deeper than just the absence of fighting. But peace is actually this notion of completeness, this actual notion that everything is put back together the way it's supposed to be. So to the inadequate shepherds and the unprepared manger, the angel's announcement is God's putting everything back together. Things are being complete. You see, we've lit our three candles already over this Advent, candles of hope and of love and of joy. The final candle brings all of these things together and offers us completeness, offers us something beyond the brokenness of our world, something beyond just the way things are. And because of this baby, born as it was in unprepared space, announced to inadequate people, we see that God's putting everything back together again. And not only does he, does it come unexpectedly to these shepherds, notice what the angel said in the text. And in Luke 2, the angel says that this is something that has happened to you. Did you hear that in the text? The Savior has been born to you. And the Savior is born for all people. So this isn't something that they do. It's not something that they participate in. It's not even something they help make happen. This Christmas story is something that happens to them, and it's for everyone. Like, hopefully you can find the hope and the joy and the love and the peace in that statement that the angel makes to these shepherds, that this is for everyone, and it's for you. 
So no matter what sort of story we concoct to suggest why this, might, this story might exclude us, while Christmas might skip us this year, and maybe it's what's happened, maybe it's the year the way it's gone that we go, ah, this year it's not for me. This angel's announcement to these inadequate shepherds about this unprepared manger is that it is for everyone and it's for you. So are you ready? <laughs> well, actually, here's the problem with that question. The problem is it's not a grace question. It assumes a standard, it assumes a place, it assumes some sort of achievement that you can make to get yourself ready. But that's not how the Christmas story works. Nobody's ready for Christmas because nobody can ever get themselves ready to welcome Jesus. But that's okay because that's not how this story works. This story comes to the people in it. It suddenly appears to Mary, it suddenly appears to Joseph, and it suddenly appears to these shepherds, the wise men. It appeared so suddenly to them, they were late by the time they got there. It was so suddenly to Herod that his anger raged against this Jesus. Nobody was prepped for this particular story. And we therefore have to live comfortable with the fact that we can't be ready for Christmas. We just gotta let it happen to us. Are you ready is a question of the law. It's a question that assumes a standard and a bar that you can reach. But Christmas offers us something different. Because Christmas is about grace. Christmas is about this gift given to us that we could not deserve. The angel announces a savior is born for all people and to you. Now think about that. Jesus' incarnation, God become flesh, means that God has now inserted himself fundamentally into the Christian story, into the human story, sorry. God has fundamentally placed himself in our history. Therefore, our human story is now tethered to grace forever. Because it's not that we did it, it's not that we earned it, it just happened to us. Because what we need in life, what we're looking for in life, is always going to be beyond us. And we'll never, ever be able to be ready for it. And that's why we tell this story every single year. You see, we rehearse this grace story of Christmas because something happens in the ensuing 11 months that we forget it. And we start assuming that if I could just get myself sorted, if I could just get myself ready, I'll have life together. And the Christmas story says, no, it's going to come as a surprise. You're not going to be ready for it. And you might not even think yourself suitable for it. But we all get to be part of this story. Fleming Rutledge wrote an article last week in the sometimes brilliant Christianity Today where she said, Advent begins where human potential ends. When you're at the end of your rope, that's when the Christmas story starts. When you don't feel that you've got it all together, that's where the Christmas story comes in. When you feel you're inadequate or not prepared or not ready or just incomplete, the story of Christmas meets you exactly there and says this is where Christmas comes to all of us, with this incredible story of grace. You see, oftentimes our own grandiose belief in our own abilities robs us from realizing that we're never going to be getting it all together for Christmas. We'll never be ready for the Savior, but he's going to come anyway, because Christmas is surprising. I've discovered in my uh, thoroughgoing research that I've made that there is one demographic that is always ready for Christmas. There's a particular group of people that if you ask them at any point in the year, are you ready for Christmas? They will say, yes. 
If you ask them if Christmas was tomorrow, would you be okay with that? They will say yes. If you ask them if Christmas was today, would you be okay with that? They will say yes. Do you know who this group is? It is, in fact, children. Children are always ready for Christmas. You go home and test this with your kids. Instead of doing Christmas on the 25th, we're going to do it this afternoon. Any objections? I can promise you, no objections. They will not be annoyed at this. They will not be upset at this. They will not need counseling when they're older to deal with this. They will be okay with you bringing Christmas early. But as I've thought about this, I think there's profound theological reasons for this. It's because children get Christmas. Children understand Christmas. Because children are slightly powerless at Christmas. They don't have the funds to buy the presents. They don't have the abilities to cook the dinner. They don't have the skills or focus to tidy the house. These things are beyond them. So they only have one role that they can play at Christmas. The one thing a child can be at Christmas is a gift receiver. That's all they can do. That's all they can bring to this. And that's exactly what they should do because that's what Christmas is. Because when we try to take control of Christmas and we try to put it our way and we try to make it the way we want it to be, we actually draw ourselves slightly away from the truth of this story. Because here we have this story of Christmas that comes to shepherds that can't afford to bring gifts to a royal birth. We have a a family that don't even have a room to put the child in, but Christmas asks us this, are you just simply prepared to receive? Because Christmas comes to us. Christmas is something that happens to us. It's not something that we do. So we come to Christmas unprepared, and that's okay. We come to Christmas inadequate, and that's also okay. Perhaps Christmas is unexpected, and that's the way that it's supposed to be. Because we're never going to be ready, because we are not the catalyst for what it was that happened once upon a time in Bethlehem. We don't need to be ready, because that's what grace is does. It comes to us and it meets us wherever we are. Like all the shepherds, we find that this Christmas story is to all people and it's also to you. In a beautiful moment of poetry, Madeleine Engel talks a little bit about this and I just want to read this to you by way of conclusion this morning. Langle says this, he did not wait till the world was ready till men and nations were at peace. He came when the heavens were unsteady and prisoners cried out for release. He did not wait for the perfect time. He came when the need was deep and great. He dined with the sinners in all their grime, turned water into wine. He did not wait till hearts were pure. In joy, he came to a tarnished world of sin and doubt. To a world like ours of anguished shame, he came and his light would not go out. He came to a world which did not mesh, to heal its tangles and shield its scorn. In the mystery of the word made flesh, the maker of the stars was born. We cannot wait till the world is sane to raise our songs with joyful voice, for to share our grief, to touch our pain, He came with love. Rejoice, rejoice.